Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is edition number 56, which I can hardly believe, Jim, of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is the future of law practice. In a break from our usual format, Jim is my guest today. As many listeners know, Jim is the director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. He served as chair of, as a, of ABA Tech Show in 2005 and as the chair of the first two GPSSF, translate that, Jim. General Practice Solo Small Firm Division. Okay, all right. <laughs> in, two, in 2006 and 2007, he frequently writes and speaks on legal technology and law practice management subjects across the country. Now, Jim did an extraordinarily good keynote at ABA Tech Show this past March on the future of law. I think I called it flawless. It was compelling and enthusiastically received by the audience, so we thought we'd recap some of it here. So thanks very much for being my guest today, Jim. Well, thank you very much for your kind words, and I have to tell you, I don't normally get much performance anxiety giving presentations, but to give one a keynote at ABA Tech Show with all of my peers and good friends in the audience, I am glad it turned out well. <laughs> it, it really did, and, and I'm sorry that we're missing the PowerPoint slides today because they did add to the presentation, but I think people will just en enjoy this recap a little bit. Uh, and Jim, all of us are interested in the future, and if we could predict the future, it would certainly help in many areas, including in our investment portfolios. But but what caused you to invest so much of your time in trying to predict the future of law practice? Well, as you have said, many of us are interested in the future. When I was growing up in a very small town in Oklahoma with no internet and no cable TV, I spent a lot of time reading, and a lot of that was science fiction. It was interesting that... When the internet was reduced to people, I had a much better idea of what the internet meant and what it would become. Then several years ago, a group called ACLIA, which is International Group of CLE Professionals, asked me to give a keynote presentation to their conference on the future of CLE. Between understanding the internet and its implications, and having worked for a bar association for several years at that point, and having just finished reading the World is Flat, A Brief History of the 21st Century by Pulitzer Prize winning author Thomas Friedman. I was in a good position to make a number of predictions. Luckily, many of those predictions became reality. The presentation was well received. So I guess you can say I received some positive reinforcement on my first try being a fortune teller. <laughs> so, so you went from that to predicting the future of law practice? Well, it wasn't quite that easy. When you look at the business trends, there's certainly a lot more about economics and business, and I had no training in that area. But a lot of these changes we see are being ripped from today's headlines, both from the mainstream business press and publications like the ABA Journal. Admittedly, Jim, I, I have no training in economics, so what is your best observation about the economic future of law practice? Well, one law that we lawyers cannot work to get repealed is the law of supply and demand. Of the challenges facing our profession, one is the supply of new lawyers that has been greatly increased over the last decade. Many universities built law schools because they look like they could generate revenue well in excess of their expenses that could be applied to other needs in the university. The American Bar Association process for approving law schools that are new has been criticized by many as being less than rigorous, and now we've reached the point where Professor Brian Tamaha, in his new book, Failing Law Schools, 
cite statistics showing that law schools will produce approximately 45,000 new graduates annually, while approximately 25,000 job openings for new lawyers are projected each year through 2018. This book is actually supposed to be published this month, so it's pretty simple math to say that more supply without more demand should drive down prices for legal services. And we will put a, a link to the book in our, our show notes for the listeners here. Technology advances also play a part because you, you only have to look at the meteoric rise of technology-assisted review and e-discovery to know that a lot of lawyers are going to be out of a, a job fairly soon. What technology changes do you see as playing the most important role in our future as lawyers? Well, that's easy. All of them. <laughs> but seriously, almost every technological advance impacts the lawyers in some way because it will impact our clients. And it often generates issues with substantive law that is not kept up with technology as well. I remember the early days, uh, there were legal arguments about online defamation case, whether web pages should be treated like newspapers or common carriers like a telephone service. I mean, they're obviously, web pages are obviously neither. They're, uh, as we learned in law school, sui generis, right? <laughs> but there are, were opinions holding then as a result of that analysis that if you tried to remove obscenity or pornography, you became like an editor and were therefore legally responsible for the content. But doing nothing, which is the wrong thing to do, left you in the clear. It's a cliche, but the Internet does change everything, and this is particularly true where your products and services are information-based like lawyers. I'm sure most independent bookstore owners did not see it as a threat when the internet was first introduced to them, nor did music distributors recognize the Pandora's box they were opening when they quit pressing music onto vinyl and started producing CDs. So we face a lot of issues, whether it's non-lawyer groups that want to provide legal services or document drafting services that are online, or the fact that technology now allows a lawyer to represent clients anywhere in the world, even though maybe the legal ethics rules do not. Well, believe me, Jim, as the incoming president-elect of the Virginia State Bar, I, I get that. We're always busy fighting the unauthorized practice of law and making sure that our own lawyers abide by the rules of, of ethics. I know John has heard me uh, kind of sing many times, uh, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do when they come for you? and we do come after them. It's an exhausting and it's a never-ending process. I'm, I'm guessing, though, that our regular podcast listeners are generally well-versed on many of the implications of technology. So what should smart lawyers do in order to prepare for their future? Well, I think uh, I'd identify four things. And, and the first thing is just pay attention to trends and pay attention to changes and think about your business and the things you do when you hear news. There is a feature in the ABA journal periodically I like uh, called the new normal and it's been noted there that lawyers sim tend to pay not much attention to the trends. So I pay attention to what's going on. Now in terms of your law office, I, I'm a big believer that we need to focus a lot more on legal project management or it's also called legal process management, that we need to figure out and try to document workflows and to build steps and to build other things that people can follow along to do part of our legal work. This sometimes is challenging to lawyers because it's like, why would I build a complete set from A to Z to try to do everything I do? It seems like I'm trying to render myself irrelevant. But the point is, there will be lots of different changes in the law, lots of unique situations. Somebody 
brought up a question on our member bulletin board the other day that I'd never thought about in relation to child support, and they'll continue to be there. So what we want to do is try to document and make quick and efficient those parts of the process that can be documented and made routine. This leads into my third point, digital workflow. We've called it the paperless office. We've had lots of different euphemisms. But the simple point is that we need to be operating from computer files on the computer network where everybody can access them, where there's complete access to the information when we need it, where we can remote in from our homes or on the road if we need to check a client file, where we can back up all of our client data and our own office data, ensuring ensuring our business continuity. So the, the so-called paperless office never resulted in a reduction of paper. In fact, you can argue that computers cause more paper to roll out of printers, but it's still critical for the way that we're going to operate in the future. And then finally, one of the things I talked about at Tech Show, other than this keynote, was, was document assembly. And, and we're seeing document assembly as really a, a, a growing area you know, a lot of lawyers are threatened by some of the online providers of document, legal documents, and say that's the unauthorized practice of law. But I think the bottom line is you should look at, at new products like uh, the Form Tool, which was exhibited at ABA Tech Show, and Pythagoras, and figure out that, that maybe I need to spend more time setting up a system to help me quickly draft flawless documents than I need to do proofing the same routine documents over and over even though I recognize, and practicing lawyers are already ready to respond with email, I'm sure, that there's going to be unique things in every document. But why can't I get the boilerplate done quickly and 100% accurately and then focus my time on the unique things? To, to switch subjects just a little, you know, I, I met a, a kid, a kid, a young man who was planning after graduation to apply to law school, and I found myself kind of asking him, why would you do that? And he asked me why I was negative about it. And so, you know, I told him that there were uh, 45,000 graduates a year and only 22,000 jobs for them, and that 22% of law students thought it was a bad idea to be in law school because they can see the writing on the wall, uh, things like that. So we have a lot of people out there that are scared. So what's the scariest and most negative trend that you see? Well, I, I think that, that we're going to see continued downward pressure on legal fees. And, and some would argue that's good for the consumers of legal services, but lawyers who have enjoyed a generally speaking, a, a anywhere from a decent to an extraordinary income over the last several decades, are now going to see that uh, on the corporate level, clients through something called the Association of Corporate Counsel, and I'll include a link to their value challenge in, in the show notes, but they are dealing with how to pay outside counsel less on behalf of big corporations. And then we're seeing, you know, the, the various online services, Law Pivot, LegalZoom, all these different online services that are are, talk, are trying to convince consumers that it's better to draft your own documents on the Internet at a fixed price. So I think that there's, combined with the new lawyers coming in who can't find jobs, there's just no doubt that the cost of legal services in many ways has peaked and has been going down. The challenge for us as lawyers is to figure out ways to retool our offices where even if the gross income starts going down slightly, the net income, your take-home pay, can remain the same or even better. And, and hopefully we'll take that scary trend and make it into something positive. 
Now, you've co-authored a, a couple of excellent books with our friend Mark Robinson for the ABA entitled Winning Alternatives to the Billable Hour. How does that play into your current thinking about the future? Well, it's, it's all one piece, the way I see it, and maybe I'm the only one on my island here who has this view. <laughs> but, but to me, but I don't think so. I've talked to a lot of colleagues. But to me, it's a matter of automate what you can, delegate what you can, and then many of those things that are automated and delegated or have processes built in or checklists built in uh, where I do them a lot quicker, I don't charge for those by the hour anymore. I charge a flat fee for that kind of document or that kind of process. And so hopefully, like I say, we can end up where we spend less time doing the routine drudgery, like proofing documents for the third time, just because that's our attempt at quality control and our last chance to save anything, fix any mistakes. But hopefully we'll have a little less drudgery and our clients will get a little bit better deal on fees and we'll end up really with a better, more positive work product because we get to do what we do best, which is solve problems and come up with strategies rather than just uh, routines. So if you were to talk to a brand new lawyer just starting out, and, and it seems to me that they're very, very nervous these days, what would be your advice? Well, I, for lawyers of all kinds, whether you're self-employed or or uh, working for a firm, focus on providing great client services in addition to providing great legal services to your clients and try to make every one of your clients feel like they want you to be their lawyer for their life. That's a very good aim, isn't it? It's a good goal. Uh, it's an ongoing challenge. <laughs> and, and, and really, it was very short and sweet, what you had to say. I wonder if you have any, any final thoughts that we haven't covered so far in our discussion, Jim. Well, I think I'll share some quotes from that great philosopher, Yogi Berra. <laughs> I, do love, I do love his quotes. <laughs> I'll give you three. Number one, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. If you don't know where you're going, you might wind up somewhere else. <laughs> and finally, in particular related to today's topic, the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> ain't, ain't it the truth, Jim? I, I just loved your tech show presentation, one of the best I think you've, you've ever given. So I'm glad we could share a good chunk of it today with our podcast audience. Thank you so much for playing the role of guest today. Well, thank you very much for being kind in my interview, my podcast partner. Well, I, I had thought about being otherwise, but I'm, I'm too nice for that. <laughs> That's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>